This is Legends of the Hall, the podcast centered around the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs, telling the stories of the greatest stars in the history of Pro Rodeo. This is episode number two. We've got a two-part show for you. One of the most familiar voices in the history of professional rodeo, Bob Tallman, will join us. And you'll hear from the four-time world champion saddle bronc rider, Clint Johnson. This is professional rodeo announcer Steve Kenyon. Legends of the Hall is being sponsored by Wrangler, the official Western wear pro rodeo. Long live Cowboys. In just a moment, you'll meet Bob Tallman and Clint Johnson on Legends of the Hall. Hey y'all, this is Cody Johnson. When I was starting out in music, most every radio station and venue I went to told me no. At that point, you got two options, tuck tail and quit or buckle down and fight. Well, I'm a fighter, not a quitter. And that's why I wear Wrangler jeans and shirts. Their toughness and style are legendary. They're an iconic symbol of the West and there's no quit in them either. Life's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And if I'm gonna enjoy the ride, I'm riding in Wrangler. Wrangler, long live Cowboys. Hi, everybody. This is Steve Kenyon. Thanks for all of your support of our 8 Seconds Media radio shows, the new Steve Kenyon podcast, and our social media sites. Now you can wear 8 Seconds Media wherever you go. Just visit the 8 Seconds Media store, ball caps in some fun colors, T-shirts in all sizes for men and women, and with fall coming, we've got some warm hoodies waiting for you. Just click on the shop link at 8secondsmedia.com. Welcome to the Legends of the Hall podcast. I'm Steve Kenyon. Got a two-part show coming up for you today. The first half of our show, one of the most famous voices ever in professional rodeo, rodeo announcer Bob Tallman. The second half of our show, one of the most famous world champions in the history of professional rodeo, saddle bronc rider and four-time gold buckle winner, Clint Johnson. Let's start with Bob Tallman. Tallman honored as the 2020 legend of pro rodeo, and on December the 4th of this year, he will be the master of ceremonies honoring Red Steagall, the 2023 legend of pro rodeo. Bob was inducted into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in 2004. 26 times he has been the announcer, the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, 10 times the PRCA's announcer of the year. One of the most famous voices in all of pro rodeo, And I would say this, I would probably not be in the rodeo business without the friendship and support and mentoring that I have received through the years from Bob Tallman. Here's more with Bob. You get to, I'm going to start here and then we're going to kind of meander a little bit. On December the 4th, you will be the master of ceremonies for Red Steagull's night as the 2023 Legend of the Hall. Not just a wonderful gentleman, but one of the greatest voices and faces of the Western way of life in the history of the country. Well, he led us. He's still leading us. His music, his poetry, his lifestyle, his travels, uh, the songs that he has written that major, major, major artists have re-recorded. Yeah. Uh, Red Steagall um, has been a character in my life since about 1972. You've appeared on his, you've appeared in the bunkhouse on his show there at least oh, once yeah. or twice, haven't you? Oh, yeah. You have to understand what Red Steagall stands for. The Western way of life. Yeah. Country music, pop if that's what he wanted to do, responsible for Reba, responsible for the Coleman County Cowboys and all of the songs that they recorded and the millions of miles that they have traveled to television shows. Um, how many millions of hours on radio? Yeah. And Red Steagall represents Texas as a songwriter, recording artist, and of course, um, a poet, uh, deemed to be the friend of all people in high heel boots and tall crowned hats. Yeah. You were that person in 2020. You were the legend. You were the person that was honored. What's, if Red calls you up and says, what's, what's this going to be like, what would you tell him? Well, I called him up and I said, what's it going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> um, see, I've got, you know, eight hours that I can talk about Red Steagall. I, I interviewed and, him on the first episode of this show. We went for almost an hour. Yeah. We could have gone for ten. I think the main thing is, is I want Red to be comfortable and I want him to, if he wants to play his guitar, great. If not, tell a poem. 
uh, if he wants to sing a little ditty to do it. But I want people to recognize what Red Steagle is continuing giving. I spoke at a Christian men's breakfast or a men's Christian breakfast the other morning, and Bill Ziegler was there who drives him right. all over the country. And he said, last week we were in Carthage, Texas, and he recorded 16 shows in four days. The man at 85 years old just does not slow down. Yeah. And we're the, we're the benefactors. Yep. I asked him about that. I said, Red, you're in your mid-80s. And he said, yeah. He said, what am I going to do if I retire? Oh, no. No, no, uh, no rocking chairs because rocking chairs lead to wheelchairs. Yeah. And uh, wheelchairs lead to coffins. Yeah. Um, it's just, I think it's going to be a great night. I can't wait to go and watch. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I have no idea what we're going to do. I, we you, won't rehearse it, but we're going to visit about it. Yeah, being unrehearsed has kind of been the Bob Tallman way of life, hasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, take me back to the early 1970s. Um, I remember reading a quote from you once upon a time. You really wanted to be a contestant. You had an eight-second heart, but you had about a four-second butt. Um, yeah. That that didn't work out, but somewhere in there, this this whole thing that has now turned into more than 50 years of being, let's face it, Bob, your voice is one that is, I listened to a podcast that you did with Luke Branquino, and Luke talked about this. That voice, that Bob Tallman voice, Joe Beaver said the same thing to me, is is something that Rodeo contestants literally hear in their mind as they're visualizing backing in the box, getting ready to nod their head on a horse for the 10th round of the NFR and maybe win a world title. That's how much of an impact you've had on some, on some Cowboys. Well, you have to understand that um, let's, take, let's jump past the early 70s and into the late 70s, and this is where the Heston telecast with Mahan yeah. and Hadley. Yeah. This is probably the first big thing, Zoli Vodsta uh, um, and all of that team crew with Heston. God bless Brother John. And when that started off and took off, it identified us with the industry, not just rodeo. Um, it identified Hadley and I right up front, Bob Eubanks, Larry Mahan, Larry Wilcox from Chips, um, and away we went. Yeah. Then John Blair Television came, then ABC, NBC, CBS. Then came Kirk Gowdy with ABC Wide World of Sports, and he just grabbed and said, come on. Well, I was the benefactor then and still in some old recordings today of being the guy that you saw next to those stars. And um, I would never say it any other way, but I had 44 years with Hadley Barrett, and Hadley Barrett and I, do you remember the flicker in the flame? Yep. Little TV thing we yep. used to do in his motorhome. Then came the Great American Cowboy radio show um, based in Eugene, Oregon, Lane County in the late 1970s. And uh, then came the Great American Farmer radio show, then the magazines. And we did rodeo, radio, and agriculture for years, thank God, to Peter Coors and ConAgra. And these people took us into homes, onto tapes, uh, the cassette tape players I used to carry. Um, I still have over 400 of those. Yeah, I want really? wow. give them to the Hall of Fame, and if they want to stream them, they could. If not, um, and I used to do like six shows with Joe Alexander and uh, Bruce Ford. Yeah. And then I could plug them in wherever we wanted to. Right. And my dear friend, uh, Peter Powell, uh, same age as I am, um, and I have stayed hooked. I did a, a commercial the other day for the Lane County, Lane County, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon yeah. uh, where you and I used to live together. Um, I did an ad for them for a benefit thing they were doing. And they said, do we have to pay you? And I said, no. Um for what all they did for me in those kinds of things yeah. back then. And you and I and Tracy and Kristen and our kids. And those are the things where electronic 
opportunities, radio, television, commercials, um, just kind of started to grow. And then they stayed hooked and stayed hooked. And we're still today between rodeo, radio, podcast, the Cowboy Channel, you name it, you name it. And um, 50 plus years later, we're still telling stories in a microphone, being recorded. um, And thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know if you remember this, Bob. I always will. First time you and I ever met in person. It was because of the American Farmer, the Great American Cowboy radio shows. We were carrying them on a little radio station that I was a program director of in McMinnville, Oregon, which McMinnville is 25 miles as the crow flies from St. Paul, Oregon. Yep. And I, I either called you up or I called Peter Powell up, and you came down to the, the St. Paul Market in downtown St. Paul, 7 a.m. on a morning during the St. Paul Between Rodeo. Between the you were hardware store and the Catholic Church. Yeah, right, right in the middle. They were making the chimichangas for lunch at yeah. that time. Um, we spent an hour on the radio together. Okay. And that was the first time that you and I ever had a chance to meet in person. Um, I will never forget that. It was, I, I, I was still learning. I was still getting to know this whole Western way of life thing. And that was an hour-long education. Um, in St. Paul, Oregon, a little town of 500 people with a rodeo arena that seats 10,000. Then 10, only had 300 people. Yeah. Now, um, only because of people moving to the west side of Oregon, uh, south of Portland, uh, in that country, you know, because they've moved in there to retire because yeah. it's so beautiful and the weather is yeah. phenomenal and you're only an hour from the beach. Yeah. When I graduated from college in McMinnville, it had 16,000 people. Now it's got almost 40. Yeah. So that welcome to welcome to growth, I guess. Welcome to Texas. Now, when all of that started, then comes my kids. Kristen, my wife, would bring all of our East Eastern Oregon kids, her and Nancy Hill, bring them all over to the west side right. to high school rodeo, and you started announcing those rodeos. Yeah. Yep. And somebody said, when are you going to start announcing those rodeos? I said, I can't. My wife, Steve Kenyon's a <laughs> fan club leader, and um, it's grown from there. How blessed are we? We are. We are blessed. Single best piece of advice you ever gave me? At a high school rodeo, maybe in Baker City, Oregon, your hometown, you came up and you said, quit trying to sound like me. Uh, that, you, you were a little more graphic than that, but uh, that, that, was, that, was a, that was a learning experience. I had no idea where this was going to go at that moment in time. No, I was I running a radio have station. I no idea where yeah. this is going to go. Like I say, never, never rehearse, just ad lib. We're sitting in my tack room today at 3T Angus Cattle, beautiful downtown Poolville, Texas. And um, I've never gravitated away and or graduated from a Western way of life. Five generations, my grandkids, who you know well, are in the cow business here with us. And we we just seem to stay hooked in the Western way of life. I made a comment to a guy the other day, uh, young Garrison Allen, at the my in my not North Dakota, I'll bet at the Badlands Circuit Finals. Well, two weeks before, I was blessed uh, to go and marry he and Alyssa Lockhart, now Alyssa Allen, in Rapid City. And during that service, um, I'm looking right at Grady Lockhart and Lisa and David and Tony Allen, and I said, you know, this Western way of life thing is a pretty cool deal. You have to think about it. Donnie Gay made a comment to me one time. You, you can't put a kid on a bull at the age of five, but you can teach him how to throw a Frisbee, catch a baseball, skate on ice, whatever. So he said later in life, our kids have a chance to go on to be cowboys, cowgirls, cow people, whatever. And Donnie Gay has given me a lot of quotes over the years, and I refer back to him uh, often. Our Western way of life Um, whether it be rodeo 4-H, FFA, ranching, agriculture, that has tied all of our family together just like yours and mine today, gives us a chance to commune up, live together, small ranches, big ranches, whatever. And you see great-grandfathers and grandmothers and generations of family that still do what we all took as a hobby right. as young people right. and have made it into a business, and that business 
has evolved into generations and it's kept us together as a family unit. So I want to give credit to the Western way of life in all of its different factions. You know, the thing that, that really attracted me to the rodeo business right off the bat was, I will be bluntly honest, first rodeo I ever announced, 1986, week, Easter weekend, um, little high school rodeo back in McMinnville, Oregon. Uh, the lady came up, she had, I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Lady comes up and she hands me a check for like $300 when it's all over and says, you're going to be just like Bob Tallman someday. Hmm. And in the back of my mind, I thought, who? That's how little I knew at that time. Um, but the thing I fell in love with was, you mentioned family. Those kids, those families, those campers and motorhomes that were pulling into all those high school rodeos oh, yeah. years. And there's there's the, the, the kid getting the calf horse together, and there's the daughter getting the barrel horse ready. And there's mom, and there's dad, and there's grandpa, and there's grandpa. Um. And I fell in love with that. I fell yeah. in love with that that aspect of our lifestyle. Well, it gives you so much appreciation for gifts rather than money. Yeah. And it's not always fame, but um, it keeps that unity tied. And where are we going next week? Where are we going next month? Where did we come from last year? Um, my kids go to District 3, Region 3 High School Rodeo right up here at Graham, Texas. And one day we're playing volleyball with my granddaughter and then her twin brothers in the team roping uh, the next day. And then we're at a cutting the next day. Then we're at a Christian concert the next night. And kids go, my Lord, see five families and there'll be one or two members of each, 15 or 20 of us, going to these different events. Right. Now, you have to understand my son-in-law ropes real good and makes good horses. So my grandson had that opportunity to start with. And uh, the other day, they went to a high school rodeo in the morning. Didn't do very good. But they went to a big jackpot in the afternoon and won a sizable amount of money on other saddle, breast collars, and trinketry. Uh, the next, that night, um, I was gone in North Dakota. They all went to uh, an Elevate concert um, in Dallas. The next day, they were at a volleyball tournament down south in Dublin, Texas. Yeah. The next day, they're in school this week. I don't know where we're going. I'm going to a steer roping in Gale, Texas, and they're getting ready to go to a regional track meet right. in Lubbock. The circle just gets bigger. Now, somebody in New York, North Carolina, uh, Montana or Washington State, California is going to watch this podcast, and they're going to go, how do you people do that? Well, you have to understand that in the rodeo business, it's not so much on the amateur level. It pays a fair amount of money and billions of dollars on an annual basis. Yeah. We might get to that within this interview. But where do you spend your money on your kids? Is it club volleyball? We go to Dallas and Carrollton five, six, seven times a year. Uh, we're blessed in Texas to have much cheaper fuel than you know, three or four dollars a gallon they do in California, but then you've got 4-H and you got FFA, then you got horse show, then you've got rodeo, uh, then you've got cutting, then you've got raining, and then you've got jackpots in all of those different, uh, you know, different events on the weekend. So regardless of what discipline, so you live in New York and you want to move to Texas, so you live in New York, and you say, um, how do I get my kids involved in that? Yeah. I want to give you a, a real quick deal. Are we in a hurry? No. Oh, okay. Um, We're at your house. We can take all the time we need. <laughs> um, Miss Rodeo, North Carolina. Rachel, my Italian girl, um, Gagliardi, and I were on a plane most of the day yesterday coming from Minot to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to Raleigh where she went. And uh, we had a Chicken Express lunch in the Minneapolis airport. Her dad came from Western Connecticut. Her mother came from Pennsylvania. At the age of six, she said, I want to learn to ride. This young lady is going to be a masterful large animal vet with two PhDs that she's working on. She's running for Miss Rodeo America. Four foot nine on a good day. She might be five. <laughs> If yeah. the heels on her boots are tall enough. Um, and the horse world changed her entire 
family. She said, at the age of seven, I was at a horse show. My mom was working in the concession stand as a volunteer. My dad was saddling horses for other kids. Uh, this summer, I got to go with Grant and Betsy Harris uh, to Cowtown, New Jersey. I was going to say, the folks who just went in the Hall of Fame with Cowtown yeah. Rodeo. Yeah. Um, and people say, well, well, we live in Maryland. There's seven or eight states back there. There's ten states in the first frontier rodeo circuit. And so many people um, will say it just isn't available to me. Yes, it is. Yeah. Google, giggle, go talk to somebody, go to an event, go behind the scenes. Do your kids like dogs, cats? They'll learn to love horses, cattle, whatever. Um, will they all be champions? No. Will it change your family's life? Yes. yes. What will it do for your family? It'll bind brothers yep. and sisters and moms and dads and grandparents back together. It's a long circle around when I was saying about the family unity yep. because of the Western lifestyle. And I'm going to go back and give that credit back to Red Stegall and his songs that he has written in his poetry for the last 60 years. Yep. Um, when I contacted you about this, you said, I want to talk about real estate. Um, I'm going to get you to real estate the long way around. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I want you, I want you to tell the story because I don't remember all of it. We talked about this on a on a radio show on Rural Radio back in 2020. There was a day. It would have been probably almost exactly three years ago in the month of October, I think. On the same day, you got your real estate license. Oh. You got a phone call from the then commissioner of the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association asking if you'd be interested in announcing the National Finals Rodeo at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas during yeah. the COVID year. And it was either yours and Kristen's anniversary or it was your birthday. I forget which. Well, it was there was a third birthday. element that went into that, yeah. too. It was, um, it was all in the month of October. Right. And my, uh, I have a real estate partner, Phil Sanders, who is the geek of the two of us. Um, I find him and fluff him, and he finishes. <laughs> and, um, I couldn't do it without him. He's been a landman for 40 years. Yeah. And March 8th or 9th uh, in 2019, when the COVID thing took us over, um, we had no choice but to figure out how we we're going to make a living. Yeah. So the next day, I'm driving home from Houston from NRG Stadium, where they relieved us of our duties. After you got that little notice. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, uh, we're shutting her down. Okay. Shocking? Not really. We knew it was coming because we had a week of lead-up time to see how it was going to work. Yeah. The first but, 15 days to stop the spread. Yeah. And we said, uh, okay, we're out of here. What are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm going to go home and plant a 40 by 40 garden, which is right out there. Uh, I called Kristen and I said, uh, get ready to tighten your belts. And I called Phil Sanders and said, we're going to go to selling real estate. He had a license years ago. Now, you got to understand something. At this table right here in this tack room before we built the real estate office, I had never owned a PC. Really? Yeah. What is that, a personal computer? Yeah, that thing. Yeah, that thing. Um, I had one in the in the security business but everybody else used it and i didn't care to use it because it was totally foreign to me so phil and i went and bought me a pc we sit down at this table and we were getting ready to go to champions real estate school in fort worth well they closed it you couldn't go in a classroom because of mass gathering wow so they said we're going to offer it online right i said what line <laughs> <laughs> online on your computer yes and we did 180 some hours and it took a while from about may to september graduated and then the commissioner calls and um i don't know how old i was then but i used to say you know the 60s and 70s in a lot of people's lives uh, changed their mental aptitude and ability to have mental recall. Yeah. 180 hours. The two toughest tests I've ever taken um, was the national test, 180 questions, and the Texas real estate test for TREC, which is the Texas Real Estate Commission, 
is the toughest real estate test to take mm -hmm. any place in the United States. So um, I learned the communication skills that I've learned as a rodeo announcer and as a producer over the years then falls into this industry as well. So we're pretty dang blessed. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to sell a sponsorship someday, and it's going to be Steve's dumb question of the interview. Brought to you by whoever. This may be my dumb question of the interview, and you might tell me that I'm nuts with what I'm about to ask. I've had the impression a couple of times through the time that you and I have known each other for the last 35, 40 years, whatever it's been, there, there are times when you've wanted to pull away from announcing a little bit, slow down, not travel as much, not go as hard. But the entrepreneurial side of you, whether it's Bobby T's Beef Jerky or whether it's um, real estate or the, the security business that you were involved in for a while, all of that kind of had a little bit of a root in the announcing, in the legend, in the, in the, the history that you created. And you, you, while you may have wanted to slow down a little bit, you didn't. Yeah, I'm you slowing came down back right it. now. I booked three new rodeos next year. Yeah, there you go. It's all about communication. Am I right in what I just said at all? Uh, oh, totally. Yeah, uh, I, I, I love doing what I do in the rodeo world. And um, it'll come to an end because of the travel. Fort Worth and Houston, they're in my backyard, and that's why we moved from Oregon to be here um, over the years. But I still go to Reno. I've spent 41 years at the Calgary Stampede. It's the travel. Yeah. And travel's not as easy as it used to be. Uh, the COVID thing, COVID never slowed us down a bit. Talking to Pro Rodeo Hall of Famer Bob Tallman, and Bob, you're big on communication. You look at all kinds of different people. And don't say anything to them. You communicate with your eyes. Yeah. You communicate with how you hold your head. You communicate with body language as you walk to them or walk away from them. Well, the same thing applies in announcing a rodeo, in approaching people or being approached by people for real estate. We sell box beef, about 80,000 pounds a year. And I deal with mostly... Uh, urban people, yeah, not rural. A lot of rural people buy beef from us, but lots of people that have come here from New York, Connecticut, from California, um, from Florida that have moved to this part of the country, and they like to buy ranch-raised Angus beef. We raise it, we process it, and we deliver it. Right. Okay. Communicating. People that have never bought a quarter of a beef, a half, or a whole beef um, out of a process plant right here locally that have always bought in a grocery store. Well, most butchers don't communicate with the retail purchaser. Here's Bob Tallman talking a little bit about his relationship with legends like Cotton Rosser and Neil Gay. Neil Gay was raised on the total opposite side of that as a true Texas gentleman, yeah. rough and tough as they came. Never raised his voice one time at me, but he could look at me at 400 feet away, and I knew it was time to turn my act around. And uh, they sent me to Texas, spend two weeks down here uh, with Donnie, Pete, and Jim as a baby, and Neil Gay, and Randy Spears, and Mahan, and got an education because it was kind of like getting a college education in two weeks, and you got a certificate or a document that said you have graduated and you get to stay right. in the deal if you had their blessings. That's Hall of Fame rodeo announcer Bob Tallman. I'll be honest, there were a couple of audio issues that developed right at the tail end of that interview, and I'm sorry about that, but Bob will be on again, and we'll get a chance to hear more of the stories he has to tell, the impact that Bob has had on so many of us in the rodeo industry and professional rodeo in the Western way of life. I don't know that you can really quantify it, but what that man has given to so many of us, we can never repay. And I'm thankful to Bob Tallman for his time at his home in Poolville, Texas. You are listening to the Legends of the Hall podcast. By the way, don't forget, Bob will be the master of ceremonies this year at the 
Gold Buckle Gala of the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. That will be December the 4th in Las Vegas. This year's legend of Pro Rodeo is the great Red Steagle. When we come back, a man who has also been the legend of Pro Rodeo, four-time world champion saddle bronc rider Clint Johnson. That's coming up. You're listening to Legends of the Hall. There's no pretending to being a cowboy. Either you are or you aren't. Which is why everything we do as a company improves or preserves this way of life. The romance, the honesty, the toughness, the craft. More cowboys, please. America could use them. Resist all. We live it every day. New styles join our time-tested Justin Bent Rail collection. Like the rugged men and women who wear them, these boots stand for quality, integrity, tradition, and hard work. Straight from our legendary El Paso factory, our expert bootmakers build these boots with features that would make even the earliest cowboys proud. Outfit yourself today with a Bent Rail collection by Justin. You're listening to the Legends of the Hall podcast. I'm Steve Kenyon. Thank you for joining us. Uh, remember to check out our Steve Kenyon podcast as well. You can find all of it on all of your normal, traditional podcast sites. Uh, please follow our Facebook page, our social media sites, and subscribe to our podcast if you'd like to be able to follow along with some of the latest news and information in Pro Rodeo in the world of Western sports on the Steve Kenyon podcast and on the Two Minute Drill. And of course, here on the Legends of the Hall podcast, we're counting it down the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. December the 7th is when it kicks off in Las Vegas. December the 4th, the Gold Buckle Gala of the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame will take place at the South Point Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. In 2021, Clint Johnson was the legend of Pro Rodeo. Clint's been to the National Finals Rodeo 12 times. He continues to give back, and he continues to be involved in the world of professional rodeo and inductee into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame and, of course, a four-time world champion. Clint Johnson joins us on Legends of the Hall. Fourth, Clint Johnson joins us. Clint, welcome. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be with you, Steve. Thank you. So let me ask you about um, – I, I talked to Red Stegall not long ago. He is this year's um, legend of pro rodeo at the Gold Buckle Gala. You had the opportunity of experiencing that. What was that like? Well, you know, I was kind of anxious about that evening, but it was really fun, and uh, it was great, great honor, really great. The people that have already been honored, such a good selection of people that uh, it was quite an honor. Yeah, that is that is quite a crew when you think of everybody from Mike Servey to Harry Vold to Cotton Rosser to – uh, Larry Mahan, I mean, that's there are 18 honorees, I think, and all of them are, have given so much back to the world of professional rodeo. To be in that class, kind of kind of a big deal, I would think. Well, I, I don't think I fit into that class. There was a table of guys sitting there with Keith Martin and Michael Gaughan, and I, I think maybe uh, I was a little over my head. Yeah, well, I, I might disagree with you on that, Clint, because you have given – You've given a lot back to this sport. Um, Four-time world champion, 12-time NFR qualifier. You know, the cool thing to me is the gold buckles are awesome. You never finished below seventh, and most of the time in your career, you were in the top four in the year-end standings. That kind of consistency, especially over a career of well over a decade, is kind of hard to come by, I would think, isn't it? Well, it it is, I guess. I mean, at the time... Uh, I guess I never left home with any other intention than trying to, to be the champion. Uh, I guess early on, I maybe didn't really have have visions of actually doing that, but you tried to win all you could every time you left home. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, let me just have you remind folks that are watching this or listening to it. Who, who did you ride with? Who did you ride against? Who were the guys that you were going toe-to-toe to with every day? Because it was a really good bunch of, bear, of uh, saddle bronc riders at that time. Well, I still probably the, as tough or the toughest set of bronc riders that, that ever were. In that decade that I was a champion in, Brad Shermanson won four titles, Bud Monroe won a title, Hawkeye won one in that decade. He won a couple more. So it was uh, – Gosh, and there's lots of other guys. That, there was a couple guys that I thought were uncrowned champions. Kent Cooper led the world all one year, lost it 
at the end, but Polly was the world leader, lost it right at the finals. I mean, these are guys that could very well have been world champions, just uh, breaks didn't fall their way. Yeah. You know, the one thing I guess you learn from that is how precious those gold buckles really are. There's so many great talents. I think of so many guys that uh, from your decade forward and from your decade to today who could have been world champions and weren't, but they were great saddle bronc riders. I Right off the bat, Cody DeMoss comes to my mind. He won second like five times, and he he was after your era, but what a great bronc rider. He just never was able to break through that last that last ceiling to get to that point where he won a world title. I mean, he was absolutely a tough bronc rider. He, he lacked one horse to be at the champion a couple times. I mean, that's how it came down to one ride. Yeah. What was, was there a best year at the NFR for you? Was there a best rodeo season that you look back on and say, this is the one that, that I think should define what I did? I, I couldn't, I couldn't really say, cause I, uh, they've kind of run together a little bit for me, but I guess the, in 89, I won the average. Usually the guy that <clears throat> rides the worst wins the average. So I probably qualified under that. <laughs> but, uh, Oh, that's funny. Um, tell me about traveling in the in the eighties, the late seventies, and the eighties, and the early nineties. And here's where I'm going with this. I was talking to a rodeo committee the other day, and we were talking about the guys pulling into to rodeos today. You know, in the timed event, guys are all driving semi trucks, pulling these big giant trailers. Uh, the parking lots aren't big enough to carry all of the people in in. Uh, they aren't they literally are not big enough to hold all the rigs anymore i don't think because they've gotten so big and people are trying to be comfortable and they're literally traveling with their homes what was what was that like 30 40 years ago well I, my mode of travel i heard was a was a buick car with new tires and new shocks i loved i loved a big car and get a get a room when you had time and sleep in the car when you didn't and uh, travel safely and quick as you can. Yeah. Clint, tell me about um, the guys you traveled with. Who did you haul with? You know, I started out with Merlin Fairbanks probably the most. And I uh, traveled with Rick Smith a good bit, Bud Polly, Gary McDaniel. Traveled a bit with the South Dakota kid, Leon Etzcorn, one time for a summer. Uh Best guys in the world, John Forbes. He kind of took all us kids under his wing and helped us get along and taught us a lot. Yeah, um, you know, I was talking to your daughter Janie, who I, I I know you're so proud of, and I want to ask you her about her in a minute. But she said you have to ask him about Merlin Fairbanks because he was uh, maybe not the household name that some of the other guys you just mentioned were, but he she she said he was probably about as good a friend as Dad had traveling up and down the road. Yeah, I talked to Merlin nearly. Two three times a week, he's he's still a, a good a friend as I've ever had. He was he was a tough bronco rider. Made the finals a couple times. Uh, tough tough guy to beat. Yeah, Bud Pauly, his family started that big bucking horse sale up in Miles City. Yeah, his his granddad was instrumental in that. Yeah, Bud <clears throat> Bud was a tough bronco rider boy. Yeah, he was a real special bronco rider. Clint, you were if if you go through the the PRCA's media guide, there's there's a question they ask everybody, and all the saddle bronc riders talk about you know who their heroes are, and a bunch of guys mentioned Billy Etbauer today, or mentioned Dan Etbauer, or Dan Mortensen, I sh I should say, or Danny Etbauer, or you're, you're part of that crew. Who were your heroes? Who were the guys that you looked up to? Who got you started? Who taught you how to ride bronx? Well, I learned a lot from a advisor from. Um, uh, Gordy Schuster. He, he kind of helped me get started, but I went to a Bill Smith school, and uh, I still to this day think Bill was the toughest uh, bronc rider that I've ever seen. Yeah. And I think he, he taught me the things I really needed to know. Um, did your career and Larry Nahan's career overlap at all? I saw Larry ride. He was done, done chasing the gold buckles when I saw him, but he was still riding. How many guys did Larry impact? Millions. Millions. He he was a great guy. But his attitude and his presence was uh, 
was really special. He, he, he really could affect you without. I didn't know Larry as well as, as obviously any of you guys did, but I did know him. And I was always so impressed by exactly what you just said, his attitude. Um, it wasn't hard to figure out why he won because he was always so positive and he was always so upbeat and he was always so, you know, ready to go and, and, and so well-spoken. I remember the first time I met Sage Kimsey and interviewed him, he was so well-spoken even as a teenager. And obviously he is now when he was 19, 20 years old, first coming out. And I thought, you know, the only other guy I ever remember hearing from that reminded me of, of somebody who was that articulate and that well-spoken was Mayhem. And maybe that's a reach, but I just there were so many things about Larry to like and love, and 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 I know the impact he had on so many people in pro rodeo was enormous. Yeah, he he's king of rodeo for me. I mean, I, in my generation of guys, he he was the guy that I think probably saved rodeo a little bit during his time. Yeah, that's interesting to to think of it in those terms. So. Let me, let me ask you about a couple of things that you're involved with today. I started this by saying that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about giving back. You spent an awful lot of time um, in your career on the PRCA Board of Directors. You were the bronc riding representative for a while. You were, um, when Janie was a kid, you were a president or vice president, I think, of Texas High School Rodeo, if I remember the story right that she told me. Why did it matter so much to you, Clint, to give back? Uh, I'm not sure. I think the, the guys that I rodeoed with, we, we felt that someone in our group needed to participate. And I think uh, and that doesn't just go for PRCA, but I, I was chairman of the Amarillo Rodeo for four years. Not a job I really would want anybody to have, but <laughs> I probably learned more there than I did anywhere else. Cowboys should have to put on a dad gum earlier. They, they appreciate committee men. I've more. always thought that. I've always thought that before any of us get our PRCA card, we should have to be on a rodeo committee. I really seriously, I'm not, I'm only half joking when I say that. I may not even be half joking. I tried to put on two or three in my life. I learned how not to do it because none of them worked out very well. But to, we all need to have a better understanding of what committee people go through. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's a tough job. I don't. I don't know. How they, I don't know how they do it. I'm not sure why they do it. Yeah. But it's, it's a really. Thank God they do. Yeah. Um, there. There are always issues. There are always things we have to deal with. Think back to your time on the board. What were some of the the the, the pressing concerns at that time? I was. Time we restructured during my end of my first term, which. Uh, some people would say that was bad, but it, it probably ended up being good for rodeo. But uh, the, the Winston tour was was in effect when I when I took office. A lot of people were very excited about that. A few of us were, and, and it went away. It, it died out uh, due to lack of uh, enthusiasm for the, from the membership. Uh, a lot of small issues. I tell you what, if you walked into a board meeting today, they're probably still talking about some of the same things they were talking about the first day I walked into the yeah. board meeting. Yeah. What was your first year on the board, Clint? I would have been, uh, gosh, I can't remember. Dan Taylor and I went in the same time. Sean had been president, and Dan Taylor was the incoming president. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was a t it was a tough time for rodeo, but it was, I think, in the end, it, it uh, prospered after that. You traveled with Rick Smith. Rick Smith today is the man in charge of the judging program in the PRCA. Um, you recently lent your voice. I think that the videos are out there now. You and Dan Mortensen and some other guys to a video that judges are helping to watch to try to help them sharpen their skills, especially with the Cowboy Channel and all of the rodeos that are on TV. Um, yeah, I mean, we want the judges to get everything right every single time they can. They're human. They're going to make a mistake every once in a while. But um, especially now with everything on TV, I would think that the whole concept of judging and 
being on the top of their game every time they're 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 in the arena is amplified even more. Am I right in saying that? Oh, they're they're on the block every day. Everybody that watches Cowboy Channel is a judge now, and they critique the judging yeah. whether it's good or bad. They're it so they got thousands of people watching every time they make it. Yeah, right. and all those thousands of people think they're judges. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Most of, us, most of us aren't. And truthfully, it's not doesn't really look the same on TV anyway. It, yeah. it's, it's such a great thing to have that visibility for rodeo. And, and and I think sometimes maybe the discussions people have about judging just actually brews up more interest. Well, I mean, it's let's face it, it's if what what how what's the fun of watching football if you can't yell and scream at the TV and some call the ref just made? Um Maybe there's a certain element of that in rodeo. I don't know. We try to keep things, you know, on an up and up and on a positive bent. But, um, you know, you're right. I mean, we we all we all like to yell and scream at the umpire every once in a while, don't we? I think it's human nature to to judge the judges, but I, I do think that the judging program is getting stronger, and, and Rick's done a really good job. Yeah. In the saddle bronc riding, is is the mark out the toughest call to make? Uh, I I wouldn't say that it was the toughest call to make. It may be it's hard to get it right, but if but if you really know what you're looking for, it's not that difficult. Yeah, um, I've always thought. I mean, in rodeo in general, a crossfire in the chain roping was probably the toughest call. I've heard it compared to like a a block charge in a basketball game because it's such a split second decision, but. Um, there, there are so many things in your event of saddle bronc riding that guys have to watch for and they have to see. Um, what, what did you and Dan talk about in that video? Well, we discussed the spur out rule quite a bit, but we also talk about the spur contact. It's, it's hard for a judge that doesn't really have a lot of experience with bronc riding to know what that means. There's a difference between somebody that has their their spur next to that horse somebody that doesn't and it's hard for an inexperienced guy or somebody that never rode a bronc to really know what this what they're looking at yeah um for for those of us that aren't bronc is that just basically keeping those spurs on the horse the entire time when you talk about spur contact as opposed to having your feet just kind of out there in the in the in the atmosphere the eight seconds that you're riding that's basically all there is to it yeah but it, it's for some reason it's difficult to see unless you're experienced. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's always easier to do everything if you've had a little bit of experience and if, if you've done something that when I'm announcing a rodeo, I know I try to keep as much as I can to just talking about the guys and what they've accomplished and where they've done well. And I, I, I don't even want to, I've, I've admitted on TV more than once. I'm a terrible judge. Um, it just is really, I don't always see, none of us see the things the judges see. And I guess that's to their credit is they see things that none of the rest of us see or, or, or catch. It, it seems like uh, sometimes our judges are overworked, but I think they do get tuned, attuned to seeing things that the, that the layman misses. There's so much going on. It's going so fast. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a tough job, really tough job. Let me ask you about another element that you have been involved with recently, and that is they just announced both the, the stock of the year in the PRCA and they announced the field of horses and bulls that will be going to the National Finals Rodeo. And you are still involved on the Saddle Bronc Riding Livestock Selection Committee. And I there tell me about that process. I don't think I know I don't fully understand it. I don't think any of us fully understand who are not involved with that, what it takes to pick out of the thousands of horses that buck in professional rodeo, the top 100 that'll go to the NFR. It, it's totally a process. The, the event directors, the bareback, the saddle bronc, the bull riding directors, uh, they, they get the nomination list from the stock contractors, which I know there was over 500 bulls nominated. And a couple hundred, two, three hundred barebacks and two, three hundred saddle broncs. And, and each one of those nominations for a bull or horse 
has to send three videos to uh, the PRCA committee uh, to use these videos. But the event directors pick their list and the committee screens that list. And uh, if we have recommendations, we go back to the to the nomination list or uh, so truthfully during the year, I try to watch as much rodeo as I can. And I watch hundreds of videos, uh, but those guys do a really good job. There's not, not a whole lot of changes that that selection committee will make. Yeah. Um, it, is it a, is it a kind of a, okay, we, we know, is it a whittle it down process? Are there two or three votes where the last one where you're, you're, you're trying to both put horses into pens, who's going to be in the E-pen, who's going to be in the hopper pen, and make those final cuts? Is that where it gets the toughest? Yep. Nearly anybody can pick 75 or 80, maybe even 90 of those horses. Any Anybody would could pick the same ones. It's the last 10, 15 head horses to get them to fit. Uh, they have to fit each pen. The ground rules call for each horse to fit in a in a pen like horses. So yeah, it comes down to a lot of factors. And shoot procedure, if a horse is not good in the shoe or he can't be saddled in the back for production reasons, they yeah. they require that these horses be pretty good in the shoe. You can't have a shoot fighting animal at the NFR. You just can't. Um there's there's too much attention. There's too much focus on the clock. I would imagine if I'm speaking out of school, tell me, Clint, but I just, to me, that, that, that even if a horse bucks real good, I can see where that would disqualify the horse just because that rodeo runs on such a schedule and there's so much attention to it. The last thing you want to watch is somebody fight the bucking shoots. You would hate, you would hate a title or even, even a go around placing based on a factor whether the horse in the chute caused the problem. Yeah. The production is fast, but, but there's so much pressure, so much noise, so much going on that those horses need to be good. Donnie Gay once told me, I asked him about the bulls in his era as opposed to today. And I remember his answer was, the great ones then would still be the great ones now. There's just a lot more of them now. Does that apply to the saddle bronc riding too? I, I'd say 100%. Uh, I, I, I'd agree with that statement completely. Yeah. What What were the – take me back to, to your era. Were there one or two that you really got along with good? Were there one or two that you – Dan Mortensen told me one time he, he, he never got by Spring Fling, of, of one of the greatest horses of all time and one of the greatest bronc riders of all time, and she bucked him off every time he got on her. Was there one that, that just always had your number, and were there one or two that you just really loved to get on? Uh, no, there there was uh, several of them that had my number, actually. <laughs> I I guess, uh, well, I mean, there was a lot of horses I liked, but and I felt like to be a world's champion or to be in contention for a title, there has to be 10 or 20% more horses in the draw that I knew I had a chance of winning on than the next guy. So I, whether it be shoot procedure or whatever you needed to do to make sure that there's more horses you could win on than the next guy, you had to do it. Yeah. There's no way to do it. You know, Alibi was a great horse in my era. Not everybody liked Alibi. Hyrule was a, was an awful draw in my ear. I had him half a dozen times. Never rode him. Huh. What was the bet? What what was the what was the one that you had the most luck on in your career? Was there one? Was there two? I I don't think there was one. There was a little Harry Gold had a great little horse, and I won the world on him one one time. Kicking Bear, he was in the tenth round. He was really good with me, and I wanted. Uh, go around on him there another time. Uh, he was just a great, he'd fit in the souped up hopper bin today. Just a really good horse. Yeah. I'm talking to saddle bronc rider Clint Johnson, an inductee into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in 2006. Take me back to the day that you got the phone call that uh, uh, we're putting you in the Hall of Fame. What was that like? Ah, oh, gosh, that's, that's a call you don't, you don't wait for, you don't expect. So, it, it was uh, it was fun. I mean, really, a, and a person needs to 
winning a world's title doesn't change your life so much. Is it? Uh, is a fun thing, and it's a good, good thing to do. Great thing to do. But you, you, and getting in the hall was was fun, and and I appreciate that. What a great honor. Yeah, I. I think I just said 2006, and I don't know why, 1992. Does that sound closer to being right? 92, probably, yeah. 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 Um, Let me ask you a comparison of today and your era when you were having so much success. You look at a guy like a a Stetson Wright today, and they, they wear shirts that look like a NASCAR driver. They got sponsors, you know, all over them, and, and, and they're – they're winning, you know, Stetson, I can't imagine Stetson's not going to win over a million dollars in one year today. Um, was all that marketing and all of that opportunity for guys, I know Larry Mahan had a lot to do with starting that, but was all of that opportunity just kind of starting to develop at the time that you were competing, Clint? Absolutely. There, there was the first guy that I ever saw that had a – a sponsor was Ricky Bolin. You know, Ricky now is president of Hatco. Right. Just but he he had a, a Coors van and he had some insignia on his shafts. And it wasn't really even at that point accepted or uh, kind of breaking the rules. Hmm. But he, he got it done. And then you had the Bud Six Pack, Hooter and Hawkeye, Jack Ward, uh, guys that great guys that were a part of the Budweiser six pack, but they were the first sponsors, uh, sponsored Cowboys that I ever saw. Yeah. Has, has what happens behind the shoots changed at all? And I'm asking this from the standpoint of, I walk by guys today, I'm going up to the announcer stand at a rodeo and I see a bunch of bareback riders with their, their, their leg up literally on the top rail of the fence stretching. And I look at them and I think, man, I could try that, but there'd just be a lot of screaming. You know, all the guys are, you know, the guys are jumping rope. The guys are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting around and they're talking, they're taping up. If they're a bareback rider, they're, they're going through all of those procedures. Has that changed over the last 30 or 40 years? Yeah, I, I think there were a lot of guys that were stretching and doing, things like that, but not, not the gym rats that you see now, Yeah, but there was more ranch working cowboy guys really on too. I think we had more of an opportunity when I, when I wasn't going to a rodeo, I was home working on the ranch. You know, sometimes you work a lot. Sometimes you you I tried to ride every day when I was home. I felt like that was better for me than any exercise that I could do. Try, try to get horseback every day. Horseback, just riding in a saddle, working cows, doing regular ranch work is what you're talking about. Yes, sir. Not getting on a bunch of practice horses. I've always wondered about the whole idea of practice horses. What do you try to get? Some hopper? Or do you try to get something that's a little bit... What do you, did, did you do that much? Did you get on practice horses? Or did you treat... Um, your your saddle horse while you were doing your ranch work as your as your daily daily practice horse for lack of a better term. Yeah, I didn't have a practice horse. Once once I got where I could ride and got where I could win, I I didn't get on any practice horses. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Maybe you should. I felt like I was sharper because to to really cheat, do any good on a practice horse. You have to treat it just like you're at the finals yeah. or just like you're at a rodeo. And, and, and if you get to where you just get on and start to get too ho-hum, I think you lose an edge. And I, and I don't know that that works for everybody. I think uh, visualization, mental practice, which I've, I've thought about riding Bronx all the time. Right. I mean, I had plenty of focus on what I was doing. But as far as getting on a any practice horses I, I didn't want to you guys were visualizing before visualization was a thing yeah we didn't we didn't know it but we that's what we did <laughs> tell me about Janie I I your daughter has become one of my best friends she is one of the most popular 
personalities um, in Western sports media today. And I know how proud you are of her. We've, we've talked about her behind the scenes. But um, she grew up riding some cutting horses. You actually trained a few cutting horses. She's she's a talented barrel racer. Um, married into a, a, a family with a saddle bronc rider husband now. Um, how 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 great has it been to have her around in your life? Oh, she, she's a wonderful she she has she's been good her whole life. She works hard, uh, tries and whatever she does. She likes to try different stuff, and and uh, she's she loves people. She loves interacting with people. She loves the sport of rodeo. She she could ride a cutting horse. It's too bad she didn't pursue that. It'd been easier for me probably. But uh, barrel racing, man, you think cutting stuff? Go try win something running barrels. Yeah, um, I got a I got a whole bunch of barrel horses on my property. I know exactly what you're talking about. How much time did you spend with cutting horses? You trained a few. I trained a couple. I never really trained any great ones. I did have a couple pretty good horses that I showed. I didn't train them. I kept them working once they were trained. But uh, I was an amateur cutter, but I sure enjoyed it. It was. Uh, I love the horses. Love the people. It's a, it's a great sport. It just takes a lot of commitment. Yeah. That was the one thing that when I, when I talked to Janie earlier today, um, she, she said, uh, you know, she, she told me about a couple of people that were really important to you in your life. And she said three different times, make sure you ask dad about how much he loves horses. Um, that's whether they're, they're bucking or whether you're working cows on them. I think that's a big part of your life. And it has been from the word go. I, I love cutting horses. Horse, and I really respect these good barrel horses and race horses. Man, what what great athletes they are, and the people that ride them too. What a what a tough crew. Yeah. Would you encourage? What would you tell a young saddle bronc rider starting out, Clint? Uh, get some get some help from somebody that's maybe old old enough to know. Yeah. These young guys can really ride. I'm not sure some of them. Uh, have some of the basics that we had, but they sure ride good. They're tough hands. Yeah. It is, is basic horsemanship an asset to a saddle bronc rider? The ability to, to just saddle, get on, sit a saddle, sit comfortably on a horse, does that help you in your bronc ride? I felt like I did the best when I had been riding a lot and I could, I felt comfortable uh, around a horse, handling a horse. Uh, you, you read a horse like you read a person. I mean, they, they, they tell a horse won't lie to you first. <laughs> People sometimes do, but a horse will tell you what he's thinking before he does it. So if you're kind of tuned in to the animal, uh, I, I felt like I needed to be a horseman, not a mechanic. Yeah. You know, get, I was real routine in what I did, but I wanted to be in tune with that horse enough. I, I, and I was pretty good at getting out on horses that weren't good to shoot. Typically, I was pretty good at it. So you, you made a comment. You said a horse won't lie to you. He'll tell you what he's thinking before you nod your head. Um, could you kind of feel, could you know when you were getting on, this horse is going to have a good day, this horse is going to have a bad day? I mean, could you could you tell that much about a horse before you ever started to ride? No, I, I don't know if I was quite that good at it, but uh, – I had confidence in certain horses that I'd been on. Uh, and a, a good friend of mine said it the best. He said if, if he had a good a horse that he really liked drawn somewhere and he asked somebody and they said, well, he hadn't been bucking too good. He said, that's good. He's saving it for me. Hmm. And I, I felt that way too. Yeah. Um, before I wrap this up, we're about ready to get to the 2023 Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. A go-round will pay almost $30,000. The average will pay, I forget the exact number, somewhere in the general vicinity of $80,000. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, if I went back and I figured out how many go-rounds I won at the NFR and multiplied it by today's numbers, uh, that the money has ballooned in the last few years. Um, these kept, There are more rodeo contestants going into this year's NFR who have won over a hundred thousand dollars than there are that have won under, and I don't think that's ever happened before. Um, you ever, you ever, you ever look back? How do, when you look at the money today, what do you think? Do you think, wow, I wish I 
what 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 do you think about what these kids are riding for today? Well, I I guess that's wonderful for them. Uh, it sure doesn't uh, diminish what the prior guys did or or anything. It's just great that they have that opportunity. It's really nice when you see somebody win enough money where they might make a good living in the rodeo business. Well, and you guys helped to build that. You and Larry and Louis Field and Roy Cooper and um, just up and down the line, the guys that competed before these kids today, you guys helped to build it, I think. Well, we did. We tried to maintain a strong sport. That's one reason I think uh, it was important to be part of the legislative process and, and try and be a part of the rodeo business, not just by taking the money that you could win, but by being part of the part of the sport. Yeah. Clint Johnson, I appreciate your time. An inductee into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame, 1992, um, and still involved in the sport today. And to me, that's a that's probably an undertold, but a big part of your story is you continue to give back to this industry that you helped to build. And for that, I say thank you, Clint. Thank you for, for being a part of not just building our port, not a sport, not just being a hero of of your time competing, but now still being a part of this industry. I think that's that's something we should all say thank you for. Well, I appreciate that. I, I guess I wouldn't want any other way. I, I feel I feel it's a bit of pleasure to, to to contribute some. Yeah. Clint Johnson joining us on Legends of the Hall. Last question. Um if uh if Red Steagle calls you up and say, hey what 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 was that experience like? What what do I what do I need to know? What do I be ready for? What do you need to tell him? Well, don't be cooked up, Red. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, well, and Red has had... What a great guy. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because he said the same thing. I interviewed him on my very first podcast, and, and, and he said the same thing you said. He said, I'm not sure why they put me on that list, but he said, I'm darn sure going to accept it. Um, and, uh, um, you know, he's given back. Maybe he hasn't been a world champion cowboy, but, man, oh, man, has he given a lot back to the Western way of life. He's a real champion, for sure. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, Clint Johnson, thank you for joining me. You bet, Steve. Anytime. Good talking to you. That is the four-time world champion saddle bronc rider, Clint Johnson, joining us on Legends of the Hall. Upcoming shows, Ty Murray, the king of the Cowboys, and Christy Peterson, the four-time world champion barrel racer, joined by her daughter, Jordan, who was the 2021 world champion barrel racer. We've got those shows and more right around the corner. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to our podcast. Thanks to Wrangler. Long live Cowboys. I'm Steve Kenyon.